This week's episode of Probably Science is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus, who are offering our listeners three months of unlimited access to all their courses for only $30 if you visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. Probably Science. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Probably Science. Matt Kirshen here. I'm still on the road, still Andyless in a different apartment, and this uh, is it's going to be a, a nuclear fusion episode. We've never done one of those. I'm here with Dr. Damien King, who is, let me say, get this right, head of neutral beams. I'm the head of neutral beams at the Joint European Taurus. Uh, so, starting at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> what is science? <laughs> <laughs> well, science is where you uh, try and find something out, you think of something, and then you try it and see if what you thought was going to happen is actually what happened, and then you change your mind based on what really happened. That's actually a superb answer to a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let, let, let's talk about uh, nuclear fusion, because this is one of, you work on one of the main, there's, am I right thinking there's two or three, are there two main nuclear fusion this, experiments or projects going on in the world right now? There's two main strands of, of nuclear fusion, each of which have their own large projects. Uh, magnetic confinement fusion, which I work on, and inertial confinement fusion, which is a very different type uh, completely, which uh, it, it, there's a large experiment on this in, in America. And our experiment in, in Oxfordshire here is the largest magnetic confinement fusion experiment in the world at the minute. So, so, so let's actually start at the beginning of yes. um, nuclear fusion. What is it and how is it different from nuclear fission, which is what the nuclear power plants that we know that around the world use? So nuclear fission obviously has been around for, for absolutely a, a very long time, for decades, and is typically... The, the what power generation people think of with with nuclear power so every nuclear power station you think of is a nuclear fission power plant and that's got all the issues that that people generally associate with nuclear power in terms of uh, safety waste and uh, one we share with it which is cost um, so fission works by taking a large particle it splitting splitting the atom into smaller parts and when a large particle splits into smaller particles it releases more energy than it had initially and that's where you generate power from. Uh, because of the the nature of nuclear forces and uh, electrostatic forces and all of the, the things that hold atoms together you can also make energy by taking very very small atoms colliding them together in some way uh, merging them and then having uh, two smaller particles making one larger particle and that releases more energy than what you started with as well yeah because that's fusion because if i remember rightly from my physics a level two decades ago there's a sort of optimum lowest energy ratio of atom size to that's that that's right so there's a stability diagram as you go up in mass i'm waving my hands in a one direction here to pretend <laughs> as if this going imagine in imagine direction. an arm being moved from left to right across um, the field as as you increase uh, in mass particles you start at hydrogen and you go helium and and other things that are higher it it takes energy the, the energy as you put these particles together 
re you release energy as they get put together. And as you get higher, the stability, because this is related to the amount of energy it takes to keep a particle together compared to splitting it apart. Right, so just like with just a physical machine, for example, the most the most stable position for it is the lowest energy bit, like a yeah. ball at the bottom of a hill or a, or so on. Yeah, so the, the more stable it is, the happier it is where it is. And as you get up, when you get to iron, so that's the mass in the 50-something, uh, the that is the most stable atomically, is something around the mass of iron. And as you start to get heavier than that, you start going the other way. And that's where fission comes in. So if you start splitting things that are heavier than iron, then you release energy as well. And that's where you get into, into fission. So the one thing that makes fusion especially different to, to fission is it's related to the stability. It's hard to make it happen. It's a lot harder to make it happen, which is a good thing and a bad thing. So with a fusion reaction, you are inherently it's an inherently stable process. You're not going to have a runaway process, a meltdown, and an explosion, these kinds of things. Right, because runaway in, in, in nuclear fission, it gets it starts to run away when the process releases with like high energy neutrons, is it, which then in turn can trigger other... That's the chain reaction that people talk the, about. The with. chain reaction, exactly. So as you... A, a, a particle splits into it releases a neutron. That neutron is absorbed by other particles, which then release more of them. And in a reactor, you want to be doing that just enough so that you keep making more of it and make more energy, but not so much. It, it can run away and you can, can get a growth of this. And that's where, uh, that's what a nuclear, a nuclear bomb is, or that's what happens in, a, in an unsafe situation where there's some kind of meltdown. Now, fu fusion, because it's so hard to do, you cannot get into that. So if um, I'll sort of jump ahead and we can come back slightly. Yeah. Um, if you had a loss of control in a fusion reaction, uh, all of the other material that, that comes into contact with the fusion fuel makes it, cools it down, makes it harder to do more fusion, and it just stops immediately. Okay. Um, and the reason for this, so this is, if I shall I go into oh, fusion? Yeah. So so fusion. When you have two light particles, so what we uh, what we use as light particles is always a hydrogen, a form of hydrogen. And to be clear, this is also what happens in the sun and in the center of any star as well, right? That's right. So so the the sun is a giant fusion reactor. Every star in the galaxy is a is a giant fusion reactor, and for the sun, it's it's a very easy process to do because. Uh, it's very, very big. Um, and what we're trying to do essentially is take the process that's happening in the sun and do it on Earth, confine it in a very small space on Earth and then generate more power from it. And the, the reason it's hard is if you try and take these, these particles and try and make them stick together, they're both positively charged. So electrically, they want to repel. They're two magnets that push each other apart and if you want to make them do their reaction, you have to bring them close enough together that the nuclear force overwhelms the electrical force. So there's different ways that you can do this. Now the sun, it's very easy because it's so big, so gravity just holds it all together. Right. So if there's, an, in, in something like a star, there's so much gravity that um, all of these particles get pulled together and that overcomes this electrostatic repulsion that pushes the, the magnets apart. 
the, the particles apart. The, the way that we make those particles come together is that we make them move very fast and by move very fast I mean we make them very very hot. Um, I don't know if this is something people would be familiar with generally but... Well, yeah, let's, uh, all, let's drill down. So, so temperature, how hot something is, is a measure of how much the particles in that material move around. So in a solid the particles don't move around very much, they stay very much where they are. But they sort of vibrate within a lattice. They vibrate within a lattice, yeah. And as you heat them up, they move within this lattice a bit more. And then if they become a liquid, they break out of a, a lattice as such and they move around more freely. And then a gas, they're moving around more freely still. So temperature is particle velocity. It's it's the, the velocity, the speed that, that particles are, are moving in a material. So if you make a, these uh, fusion fuel move fast enough, it will collide enough that you can break through this force. The problem is that hot enough in this context is hundreds of millions of degrees. <laughs> and so you see, this is where it starts to get hard and where you start thinking, oh, well, keeping something at hundreds of millions of degrees isn't isn't something you can easily do and this is this is something that takes a lot of energy which is what you're trying to generate exactly so you need to you need to get more out of it than you can put in for it to be remotely useful to us as an energy source i mean it's very interesting it's very academically you know interesting to to do some fusion on in and of itself but from a obviously from a we want to generate power which is the ultimate goal with fusion then you've got to get something hundreds of millions of degrees, use all the energy it takes to keep it there, and then get more out than you put in, which is why um, 40 years later we're still trying to do this. <laughs> right. um, so there's kind of a... There's a thing that goes back, if you look at the... In the in the 60s, I think it was, there were there were various stories. There, were, there was very big breakthroughs in, in fusion there, and people thought in 15, in 20, in 30 years, something like this, that we'd have fusion on the grid. And obviously, we we don't have that yet. So what, have you got to the point where at a small scale, like where, where, where are they at at the development? Is it, on a small scale, have you developed like more energy than you've put in? Or No, the best we've done in terms of energy out to in was 67%, which was uh, the experiment I work on JET, which is, uh, and our world record for this, which was in 1997, uh, was something like 67% uh, of what we put in, we got out. So we're still some way from it. Um, but on the other hand, what, what we are doing, we do, we do successfully do fusion reactions on a daily basis. Uh, so we run our experiment five days a week uh you know uh some, you know two shifts a day five days a week sometimes six days a week if we're behind and um every 20 minutes we run a pulse and this gives us uh and fusion happens all the time in there the problem is we can't quite do enough fusion to to get out what we put in and one of the reasons for this is that that when it comes to fusion size matters and size is very important when you're talking about something like this. Okay. Um, if you think about it, like a, a cup of water can keep heat much worse. A bucket of water, a big bucket of water can keep more heat in it than a cup of water can. Right. And it will cool more quickly. And 
for something like this size means the bigger it is the more you can the more you can keep more heat in for longer okay uh, so let's 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 start talking about some numbers because there's some numbers in front of you as well um yeah yeah uh, some so- ridiculous numbers so <laughs> i love this little calculation by the way from a talk you gave recent uh recently yeah so so what part of our challenge of course is we've got to we've got to generate enough energy for the world not just now because we we use a lot of energy but we need even more energy as things go forward now this is a few years out of date so some of these numbers are going to be even bigger now but i haven't updated them so the world uh the, the, the whatever year i took this from probably something like 2014 uses 550 exajoules a year so that's uh millions million joules a joule is the unit we consider of energy it probably doesn't mean too much to most people but one donut has one ring donut if you use a jam donut or chocolate donut it's probably different but uh, we'll think (laughs) of a ring donut has 220 calories in it which is equivalent to 920 kilojoules so if you wanted to um meet the world's needs you'd need a donut bigger than the city of london and burn a donut that big uh every single year to meet our needs and that <laughs> donut's going to get bigger every year and that's the other trouble all right fusion there's enough fusion fuel fuel in the world to to meet exactly that need for for billions of years um the fuel of fusion comes just from water so th- there's some other numbers around here that uh three liters of ordinary water supply enough power for you for you for seven years I don't know why they said three and seven. It seems like a funny number. I didn't do that calculation. I this is, yeah, there's like a fact sheet that says that because <laughs> you knew. Yeah, I should point out. Damien knew he was going to do the podcast, so and had to clear it first with Jet. And they went, "Here's some fact. Here's a fact sheet you can also use yeah. that is that, full of some curious stats that may or may not be useful to us. So, some are very interesting, some are less so. But it, it does include the size matters comment that has been cleared uh, officially. It says, it says it right. It's written here, so I must be allowed to say it. Um, but yeah, so the, these are the kind of um, energy demands that, that we have as a world. And renewable, ultimately, renewables have to do a lot of this work. And uh, fusion's still some time away, so renewables got to do it sooner. But as as the energy demand grows, fusion's going to become important uh, to keep going in there. Uh, fusion historically, fusion started getting a big amount of funding in the seventies. Oil crisis was what really drove funding into fusion uh, to get going, and it was only when we run out of money for buying any more petrol that the and that's when my experiment jet was uh, was built was kicked off really um so how long's jet been around for well jet's about as old as me so it was it was designed in the the 70s and uh work finished in 81 um we really got going in the mid 80s doing experiments and uh for a while it was it was a lot of fun in those early years i'm sure because they you know you could you could just redesign the experiment it was a new field so we jet is a very big experiment it's um it's a few stories high the the vessel is is quite big that that holds all these things it has very huge magnets that um that hold this so uh i probably didn't say earlier on but one of the important parts of this so 
I said magnetically confined fusion. So this material that's hundreds of millions of degrees, uh, keeping that somewhere, you can't just keep it in a box. You can't keep it in any material. Everything you put it in, it would melt. Right. And so and, the, and then some melt and, then, and vaporize and, and, and melt, vaporize, become a, a, a plasma. Uh, and a plasma is what happens when you heat something higher than a gas. You get a plasma, which is an electrically charged kind of gas. Uh, so the advantage there is because this is electrically charged, you can keep it in place with magnetic fields. So our experiment is a, a giant vessel with magnets all around it that uh, hold the the plasma in place with uh, with magnets. And, and within that space, we heat up an incredibly small amount of this gas. So we heat up uh, something about as, that weighs about as much as a postage stamp to hundreds of millions of degrees. Uh, on an average day, we do 100 million degrees. On a good day, we might do 400 million degrees. <laughs> and um, and so it's so this is the kind of heat that you're talking about and uh, massive. It's it's shaped like a donut as well, and hence the uh, donut uh, sort of comment uh, for my calculation. So, so this was this was invented by the Russians. I, I've I've got to read this because it's in Russian. It comes from. Uh, toroidal Naya Kamera Magnitaya Katushka, which means uh, magnetic bottle, basically. So we keep some fraction of a sun, a very small fraction of a sun, right, in a in a magnetic bottle. How do you get it up to that? How do you manage to get it to such a ridiculously high temperature? Because even for a tiny amount of matter that you're dealing with that must still take a huge amount of energy it, it takes uh, gigajoules which is many donuts um to 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 kind of do this so th- th- there's a few stages to this and, and and we actually because of the efficiencies involved in how it works we actually heat this plasma hotter than the sun so the where we go where we go every day is is literally hotter than the sun <laughs> like uh, one of those you know pasties from alan partridge that he put in that microwave <laughs> but um to do that, there's a few ways. So the first way we do it, when you start the thing up, uh, you put a little bit of fuel in, it's still some gas, you put an electric current through it, it breaks down into the plasma, and then you keep driving current through it. Um, it works like a transformer. This this carries current. And th- and this plasma is, is a conducting material. So you by driving the current through it, this heats it just the same as a kettle, an element, a heating element in a in a cooker, in an electric hob. So it's just as simple as basically just putting electric current through it continuously and just get hotter and hotter. Yeah, but that only works up to a point because as you heat it up, it becomes a better conductor. So the more you heat it, the less you're able to heat it. Oh, because the better the conductor, the lower the resistance, and the lower the resistance, the less the heat that comes off. Yeah, so, so you can heat it up to about... Thir- it varies, but you can heat it up to about 30 million degrees with with this, okay. which sounds like a lot, but it's useless. But still, if you're trying this at home, listeners, that's still yeah. a... <laughs> in, your, in your home fusion reactors, like 30 million is pretty respectable, so don't feel embarrassed about yeah. having not get so, it any hotter than that. So th- we, work in a, we work in a funny place where numbers feel very strange to us. Like we go 30 million degrees, it's pathetic. I, mean, <laughs> I wouldn't, you know... Wouldn't get out of bed for less we, than 30. No, I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd get very bored if we did a pulse of 30 million degrees. Um, so you have to have some other methods to heat above uh, 30 million degrees. And the main one of which is, is what I work on personally, which is the, the neutral beam system. 
so this to to make this work, we fire uh, particle beams into this plasma. We heat it up to about thirty million degrees, and then we fire in particle beams to heat it up uh, further. Uh, and and I say neutral beams because of course we've put a big magnetic field around this stuff. If we fired a, a charged beam at it uh, of particles, it would be deflected away, so it would all get bounced away, bounce off the plasma, hit wall and melt a whole load of stuff, which wouldn't be very useful. <laughs> so we have to use a, a, an electrically neutral uh, accelerated particle to, to do that. So how do you even generate that? Well, you, you just make an, you make an ion beam, you make one that's electrically charged, and then you neutralize it, which, you know, how, how would you do that? You just fire it through some gas. So you put some gas there. Okay. You, you have an ex a particle accelerator like almost any other particle accelerator at, at, at any other place, you know, not like you'd have down the shop, but you know, like CERN or anywhere else that, that use particle accelerators. Um, technology slightly different, but it's the similar concept. And then if you fire that charged beam through a, a gas of the same material, and we use deuterium as well, which is uh, hydrogen as well, and this goes deuterium. That's a high. That's a hydrogen isotope, right? Yeah. So, so if you use hydrogen itself, it doesn't really. It doesn't do any fusion. But deuterium, which is the an isotope of, of hydrogen. So hydrogen is one proton, one electron. Deuterium is one proton, one electron, and one neutron. And uh, then there's also tritium, which we'll come to in a bit probably, which is one proton, two neutrons, and. Uh, an electron so it's a mass of one two and three basically but still the same element because it's still the same number of protons yeah still the same number of protons and electrons uh, it's just a bit heavier unless you do some fusion so we fire this deuterium particle through some deuterium gas into a deuterium plasma and uh, and that heats it up more um, so this system's very big as well it's it's about as big as the whole experiment itself whole rest of the experiment itself and we we need to generate um, our record, which we got recently, which was 32 megawatts of beam power into this uh, thing to get it from the 30 million degrees up into the hundreds of millions of degrees. Um, and uh, to, to sort of put that in some context, so if you, if you t we have two beam lines. If you took one of our beam lines and fired the entire neutral particle, neutral beam, at a car, uh, and I'm assuming an average car here, not an American car, which would be a bit bigger, but um, it would melt the car in less than seven seconds if you fired the whole <laughs> thing at a car. Uh, so we can we can um, we can do that, but that's very important as well because if we if we mess up, if we were to you know have that beam not pointing in the right place, if something wasn't right with it, we'd meld our own system as well. So we, we have to be very careful and you know, right. part of our job is making sure that we don't melt. Our and I'm guessing you're experiment. dealing with fractions of fractions of a degree either way. Uh, it's quite big. So it's not that bad, actually. Okay. You, you know, you, you can be, you can be off by a little bit, but we fire it through a sort of thing that's about 30, 30 centimeters across at, at some point so it has to be okay so you put in enough power to melt a car through something like 30 centimeters across um so you do have to be careful but we right. the whole system is cooled and things like this as well so our cooling system's very hefty we could fill a swimming pool in less than a minute with how much water we have going through the system and, what, what's uh, the advantage to 
heating it up to the initial 30 million degrees with the electrical system rather than just doing everything with the neutral beam? Well, it, partly the way that the system sets up, so that, that, that use in the electrical system, that there is to generate the plasma current. The current in that plasma is part of the confining process as well. Okay. So you have to do that as part of it. Or you don't really have a plasma that, that you can fire something into. Um, but also you need to make sure that there's enough plasma. If you, you fire this beam into this plasma, if the plasma's not there, it comes straight through the other end and would, like the seven second car, melt <laughs> right. the other half of the experiment. So you have to make sure you've got enough of a plasma in enough of a good state there to absorb. Before you start the neutral beam. Before you start the neutral beam. So, so one bit of my job was you know calculating how much plasma you had to put in front of this thing before uh, you can fire so if i'd done that wrong uh, we wouldn't have an experiment anymore but i did it right <laughs> so it's good so it's there so so we have to th these are the kind of things that we have to do day to day it's not just about what's the physics of developing this thing forward it's the physics and engineering of how do you make something this sort of wild and, and outside of everyday experience like keep working and keep from destroying itself right well um, yeah because that was that you've jumped uh you've landed on one of the questions i was going to ask later which was just on a day-to-day -day basis mm. what is it you actually do because this again you said this is an experiment that's been running for several decades mm. from its inception so what changes from day to day and from month to month from from year to year in terms of like getting ever closer to your target so so jet has, has like as like i said jet has been running for decades but we've we've had a number of upgrades of jet over the years so so jet as it started out is quite different to to what it is now so for example so we said about the beam system i said 34 megawatts which is where, where we need to be now the initial power on jet was 16 megawatts um so it's more than twice as powerful now yeah yeah but the, the there were other things as well so we've we've developed we've run jet with completely different materials that the first wall so the, the the first by first wall i mean the first bit of actual material that's in contact with the plasma so we've run this with many different materials we we used to run with uh, a carbon wall we used to and, and now we have a, a beryllium wall and part of that was to make it more relevant to the the experiment that's going to come after us um it jet used to be uh, a limiter machine which what we mean by limiter is what how the first wall is in contact with the plasma um so early designs was just a, a vessel and a magnetic field and you held a kind of cylindrical uh donut shape of plasma in this in this vessel later on there was a development and if you formed it into a d shape instead of a sort of circular shape and if you put what we call a diverter so it doesn't touch the walls generally but you make a, a change in the magnetic configuration at the bottom and direct some part of it into a a particular corner of the vessel that improves the performance so it's been kind of decades of small developments and other things and, like this and when, the, when those developments are happening when those changes are happening is that like a, a a theoretical physicist will have an idea and then take it to you guys or will will there be like a, a an experimental physic like a physics experiment going on at a smaller scale first to see if these ideas work and then they go 
it's kind of a bit of both. So a lot of stuff, some of these things that have happened, we've uh, someone's had an idea and we've tried it out on a smaller scale. So there've been other smaller, other experiments, other fusion labs across the world. So sometimes when people develop something that works better on one, we start rolling it out on others. Uh-huh. And this is where, and this is where size matters a lot. So, so sometimes the smaller ones, uh, a particular bit of physics works and it gives you great results on what's a smaller machine. And usually, if that's promising, it will end up coming to Jet as the biggest machine, and we try it there. And, and sometimes it just doesn't scale up. Sometimes what what's worked very well on a smaller machine, then we try it on Jet, just because the physics is so different at that scale. It can be, yeah. So we we've when when Jet was built in the seventies, it was a huge leap in size. This the the machines before it had been kind of you, not quite tabletop, but a very big tabletop. You could say if you had a very big table in your house. Right. Uh, up to something that's uh, sort of like a grand lord king kind of table. Yeah, yeah, and then and then up to to jet, which is uh, a huge a uh, huge chamber. And the next machine that we're going to build, well, it's it's being built, is is called ITER, which is in France, and this is a, a global collaboration. It's that same kind of leap in scale again. So a, a lot of things. Uh, a lot of things in recent years that we've been doing on Jet is where something that's going to be in place on ITER, they said, well, we need to test this on Jet first. So I said we changed the wall yeah. that we had. So we changed it so that it was the same wall that ITER is going to use. And we basically then had to repeat almost everything we've done for the last 15 years because it all it's all completely different. And see what's different, see how the experiments change with this new wall. Exactly. So in some stuff, in some ways, that's great. It's like, oh, well, pick up your favorite experiment from 10 years ago and you get to do it again. Right. Um, but it but it gave very different results and it's given us, uh, it, it, it gave a lot of promise and it gave a lot of good results that go into ITER. So um, one of the reasons it's hard is carbon can take a very a carbon fiber composite, you know, material of the space shuttle, things like this can take a lot of heat it's very good for a first small material but it also acts like a sponge to anything that's hydrogen deuterium or tritium so you couldn't use it in an actual reactor because it would absorb too much of your tritium which you have to use which is much more rare um, so it has to have a wall that's of something like beryllium but it has a much lower melting point than than, than carbon so it's harder to use even though we have the magnetic field protecting us there's still some heat that goes to that wall um, we have some tungsten in there as well so the amount of tungsten or beryllium that gets into the plasma is very different compared to the amount of carbon that we had before and what it does in the plasma is different so we had to redo and relearn so much of of how our plasmas worked with this tungsten and beryllium in it compared to the carbon before which was uh, Running a tokamak with carbon wall is kind of like running on easy mode, right? And then uh, we had to jump to to running on a, on a much harder mode. Um, Will you be working on the front the French experiment as well, or is that ultimately that that there's a lot of us working on Jet who we already have worked a bit with them. So so the, the, I I work on on Jet, which is the experiment, but I work for the United Kingdom Atomic Energy Authority, who who run Jet on behalf for the European Commission um, and so we've had contracts where we've worked on the design of the neutral beam system for ITER so it's a collaboration so, right so we've already been involved um, whenever we we have we, we run the system in kind of a 
stages. So we, we have a, a long period of between a year and two years where we do experiments. And then we have a longer period where we stop doing work. We do maintenance work, upgrade work, analyze our results for nine or months or a year. Well, that was going to be... Uh, so I, that that's one, one of the things I'm curious about is how long does it take to turn a carbon wall into a brilliant wall? That took... Um, that took a bit less than two, between a year and two years. It, it, it say two years it took to do that. So it was quite, we we had to replace the hole in a wall, which was uh, thousands of uh, of tiles. And um, although although I said before that jet is not um, and fusion is less um, there's less waste, there's less radiation, there's less of these things than in fission. There is still some. So our machine does have uh, activation. Um, but not anywhere near as much, but we, we have to still keep people safe. So we replaced the entire inner wall using a robotic system remotely. So it was all done by someone in another room with a big set of joysticks and force feedback and uh, all this kind of thing. Uh, and they, they did every bolt, every nut, every screw, every <laughs> little part was done with robots. And uh, and that that's partly why it took as, as long God, as it did big state like huge stage physics is so painstaking like we've a couple of times on the show we've talked to people in the LIGO project over mm. in America and it's, it seems like it's a similar scale and a similar time scale where that they started off in the 70s and yep. maybe even earlier I think maybe even 60s was when the the first ideas and papers were published and yeah these these little details and the amount of hard work that that end up uh being stuck in this so sometimes those robot operators to practice they would uh, play jenga with each other using the the robot as a way of <laughs> practicing uh, i think there's a there's a video on our website of that i'm sure if uh, we'll see if we can track it down that's um, great um that they do that how did you end up so what how did you end up working on it in your position what was I'm, i presume your path started with a a physics undergrad at some point yeah so i did a physics degree and then i did a i did a phd my phd was actually in solar astrophysics which sounds, uh, well, I said it's like the sun, so maybe it doesn't sound totally different, but it it is quite different in the the, the thing and I in the the nature of the the, the work. Um, and and from that PhD, I got a job a few months after I finished my PhD at, at Cullum as sort of entry level physicist uh, on the neutral beam system, doing calculations, running the plant, running the system. Um, so, like I say, we come in every day. Uh, we start at 6.30, uh, the early shift goes home halfway through the day, the late shift comes, I only ever do late shifts, I'm not, I don't like getting up at 6.30. <laughs> um, and, and we, to, to do it, so there's usually like someone who is the experimentalist who's who's had for months in advance agreed and decided the experiment and what's going to happen. So sometime in, in the shutdown period, I said, you'll start proposing experiments, thinking of experiments, agreeing them. Uh-huh. Because obviously we can't just let any old um, person come off the street and let them loose on our thing that can melt the car in seven seconds. That's uh, you've just crushed the hopes of everyone listening to this show right now. Who <laughs> midway I, through proposing experiments? I mean, we do accept propose we accept proposals from anyone who can can send one in through through their their domestic association. But um, the approval process for getting an experiment is quite long. Um, so but I'm guessing it still has to come through like a university or a or a 
Can't just be like the sort of red crayon. We do get red crayons coming in, obviously, and uh, <laughs> sometimes we have to look at those. And there's some very interesting designs that we share around sometimes. That, uh, <laughs> sure. Look at that. So, how many on, on a given any given month? How many uh, perpetual motion machines do you receive? Oh, I, you'd, I, I'd have to. This is one I should have asked the guys in PR that question. I'm not sure, but they we they get a lot. Um, they filter. They keep us. Our guys in communications protect us from these, so I have no <laughs> idea. Uh, how many there was one that looked like a giant chili that we got once uh, some, <laughs> it was it was done in crayon I, I can it, was it, it based on like someone realizing that chilies are inherently hot and therefore they must be generating <laughs> energy <somehow? laughs> it, might, it might i don't i'm not sure whether they meant to draw it as a chili or if it had meant to be just two sort of sets of things and they just weren't very good at drawing with crayon <laughs> and it ended up looking like a chili it was like something goes in here perhaps this works like this question mark (laughs) you're the science people you fill in these gaps i'm just the ideas guy i just i'm big picture and then you just come in with you you do yet you do your equations and make make my idea work (laughs) so it's a new year it's a new decade it's time to reflect set goals for the year ahead do some traveling as matt and i have been doing But we should all have the goal in this new decade to keep learning, whether that means discovering new interests or expanding your knowledge on specific topics. The Great Courses Plus has you covered. This online learning service offers thousands of lectures covering everything from chemistry to business, ancient history to personal development. The list goes on. As we've mentioned in the past, this list of courses is uh, vast. If there's a topic you're interested in, there's a very good chance you'll find something in the Great Courses Plus that delves into that. And these are taught by the best professors and experts from top universities and institutions around the world. This is reliable information we can all trust in an era when that is sadly kind of scarce. One of the courses we recommend checking out in the Great Courses Plus is Understanding the Misconceptions of Science. Once scientific hypotheses are confirmed, they can be taken as facts. However, science facts and ideas can change as new information comes in, which is one of the reasons there are so many misconceptions. So this course examines dozens of scientific topics that even the most learned students often get wrong, from relativity to quantum mechanics, evolution to the Big Bang. They're going to help you get at the truest of truths within these topics. And the great thing is, Great Courses Plus has set up a deal for our listeners. They're offering three months of unlimited access to all of these courses. Again, this is hundreds, if not thousands, of courses for just $30. That's only $10 per month. This is a great way to accomplish goals to stick to those resolutions in the new year but this is a limited time offer so sign up today by going to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably again you get three months of access to everything so whatever you're interested in you can spend a good long time digging into it for just thirty dollars by going to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably check it out so how you said the other um big fusion project the one that's in america is a substantially different technique or method so so inertial confinement fusion which is it it is very different so we 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 make this hot plasma and we keep it in place with magnets and hold it there for some amount of time um and it varies one experiment to another how long that time is Uh, on jet a pulse lasts a bit less than a minute uh on other experiments uh, like mast which is the other experiment at, at cullum where i work it's less than a second. Um, in inertial confinement fusion, the idea is rather than making things very hot so that they collide with each other, you just smash them together as fast as as, as much as you can and they kind of implode. And you do this by getting some um, 
fuel, the same fuel, deuterium uh, or tritium again, and you fire giant lasers at it from every direction that you can, uh, and that causes it all to sort of compress down, and then that fuses it, and then that causes some reactions. Um, okay my knowledge of their development and how far they are along and everything like this is uh I, I, is less so and i have to be uh diplomatic to uh what we how we yeah. compete with each other as well um i was going to say there must be yeah there must be a fair amount of both collaboration but also rivalry between the two big projects well most of the technology and and science in it is completely different so there's not a huge amount that we kind of end up collaborating on because it's just such a different set of technologies uh but the other thing is that the you can also use this inertial confinement research to look at things like how nuclear weapons work. So there you understand where right. the interest from other parties is, right. is quite different and it's a different set of investors. And uh, Whereas you're forces. just melting cars. We're just melting cars um, <laughs> and we just like to uh, do this. Because so. that, that... Am I right in thinking that... Um... So, the modern nuclear bombs, the ones that have been tested in recent years, use f fusion, but use fission to create the fusion. That's absolutely right. So, so sometimes people say, what about the weapons use of, of what you do? And I say, well, that was easy. They did that decades ago. Making a weapon that uses fusion is actually a lot easier than making energy from it. Because uh, if it blows up, you know, it's done its job. Uh, right. So the, the, there you use... Uh, the same way it's pretty easy for us to just empty some gunpowder into a pile and it's a lot harder to make a power plant. Exactly, yeah. So you, a, a fusion bomb, the H, the hydrogen bomb, the fusion bomb, uh, does you... H-bomb is probably what people think of it as. That uses fusion, but it does exactly as he said. It uses a fission bomb to make a fusion uh, set of reactions and, and that uh, gives you this much bigger you know most every nuclear weapon now is significantly bigger than any of the ones that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and it's partly because they developed the H-bomb the in the 50s that, uh, that that went to that much bigger scale so there is there is no potential use to you, you couldn't have like a sort of combined fission fusion power plant that would use the fission to produce the fusion some people have looked at that there is some there is some people who've who've looked at that as a, as a possibility and it's it's not ruled out um one thing that you one one place you could use that one advantage is that the you can use fusion neutrons to potentially and this is still you know far from any reality um to reduce the activity or to, to change the fusion, fission waste into other materials. So that's one thing that people have looked at. Okay. But you need a good enough fusion reactor to start with to do that, which we haven't got. So I think they're called, those are known as, as fuses. And uh, again, I don't know vast amounts about that, but if you look up fuses, I think that's, uh, I think that's what they're called. And that kind of hybrid thought, I think the Italians were looking at it for a while. So people have looked at that. Uh -huh. uh, it hasn't got really as far developed as, as our machines have. Um, and, uh, yeah. So where... Um, so what, what happened Once the new one opens in France, does JET carry on as an experiment? Or does it sort of... Probably not. I mean, JET has been... We, we've 
we're gonna we we got extended. Jet has been extended by a few years every few years. It's it's been meant to close since the late eighties, and we keep getting <laughs> extended. So we we're always careful. We we never say never because we've been extended so many times, and we just expect we just keep going. But our current kind of plans is that at the end of this year we're going to run a, a tritium experiment. So I said our the world record, which was ours, was in nineteen ninety seven. If you want to really do fusion and really be serious, you have to use deuterium and tritium. Uh, that reaction is much easier to do. The, the temperature you need to get sufficient fusion is much lower because of the atomic cross-section from a deuterium plus tritium than deuterium plus deuterium. But tritium is very rare. It is more radioactive uh, than, than, than deuterium and it's very difficult to work with. So you don't no fusion labs apart from us do this now the tftr which was the big experiment in the us which closed in the in the late 90s um also could do tritium and us and them were the only ones who've ever used tritium in a fusion where lab. do you where do you even get tritium how do you find it um we buy it from canada okay <laughs> uh we buy it from canada Got it. And, uh, and, and and they send it to us and uh, th that's where it goes. In an actual reactor, you, you'd you have some that you start with. Uh, it has a half-life of about 13 years, so you have to, it has to be produced in either a fission machine or in an actual fusion reactor, you would coat the outer wall with lithium. And when the neutrons that you make from the fusion reaction strike the lithium in the wall, it can create more tritium, so it would self in an actual reactor, you'd self-generate your own fuel from the tritium as you keep going from these blankets made of lithium. But but still not in such a way that like with it that you could get some kind of runaway chain reaction. No, it's not that not that kind of reaction. You'd it's it's actually again very hard to do. And one difficulty for for fusion going forward is how can you make enough tritium from a lithium blanket to actually keep the machine running. So that's one of the problems we have to solve. That that many people are sort of doing simulations and calculating on. Um, but at the end of this year, we're going to do tritium again. So deuterium, tritium on jet. And we're kind of been, we've been building up to this for a number of years. We want to do that again with the new wall. We want to see what results we get. We want to, we want to, um, we don't necessarily want to beat our record from 1997, but the 1997 result was 16 megawatts of fusion power, 67%, you know, return. But it was very brief. It kind of went right up to this and then went pop. So it, it, it was a very transient experiment. What we want to do is match that kind of fusion power, but for a sustained and stable way with our new wall, which is harder to do in preparation for, for ITER. So we've been building up to that for, for as long as I've been, you know, I've been working at Cullum for 12, 13 years. And we've been sort of building towards this for, for all that amount of time. And after we do that experiment, that will probably there there are two avenues that will probably whenever we do that experiment, it'll be the end of Jet. We expect, uh, and we'll close down. Why? Because that's just we have a certain number of those pulses we can do. Okay. Before it has to be shut down, according to uh, our licensing agreement and things like this. So is that because of the radioactivity of? Yeah. The... So, so we, it will make the thing radioactive, and we have to deal with that appropriately. So, we can't make it too radioactive so that it doesn't uh, cause cause too many problems. So, th 
at the minute there's two options that we'll either do that completely at the end of this year and use up our lifetime uh-huh. or we'll have another extension in the way that jet always gets extended and we'll go out to 2024 and we'll do some more work for ETA in that period and we'll finish 2024 on this sort of um, big uh, big set of experiments that will uh, give us some some new records we hope so when you say sets of experiments like what things change from experiment to experiment what it, lots of lots and lots of different so we can change some of the basic things you can change is like the plasma density how much of the plasma you have in there uh, plasma temperature you just want it usually want it as hot as possible so you know we the more the merrier the more the merrier how much how much power you put in what magnetic configuration you put in so the magnetic fields can be we can go from anywhere between one megaamp, one million amps to five million amps in the one direction. We can go from uh, a, a one and a bit Tesla. The Tesla is the unit, the magnetic field. Uh, I've got a good way of thinking off the top of my head of relating that to you. But we can go from one to three point four Tesla everywhere in that. And then we have a lot of other coils. We have a set of other shaping coils around the thing. And we can change the plasma shape quite considerably. Okay. In that we we can put in, uh, and and already with those few things I've said, you start multiplying those together, and there's a lot of different combinations that you can have, um, and and people are at the same time doing the sort of trying to do it from a theoretical point of view as well, and yeah, the modeling. Yeah. So we we do a lot of simulate. Plasmas are very difficult to simulate because they they have all these competing. Pla- plasmas are very hard. Um, <laughs> the hard. <they're, laughs> They never do what you want them to do, plasmas, and this is one of the things that makes it difficult. So, including in your simulations, them, it's kind of like trying to keep jelly in a colander. Right. Uh, and and simulating, it's got the same. You've got electrical forces, thermal forces, the magnetic field. You have very different um, regimes right at the center of the plasma, right at the edge of the plasma, and just outside the plasma. So, simulating all this is is quite difficult. Um, and our, but yeah, our whole teams will be there doing, you know, results straight straight after an experiment. They'll do these sort of interpretive. This means this, and then also the mm-hmm. kind of, well, now we've simulated. Let's put this in our simulations, and then try and extrapolate what that'll be from somewhere else. So, so yeah, there's there's a lot of modeling work that goes on. And then well. seeing after the experiment how closely your models or predictions matched what actually happened. And... Yeah, so we we try and use those modeling then to to feed back into the experiment that. that they do it. We typically run two different types of experiment at JET. We run the ones that are there looking for um, physics in and of itself. You know, if we do this, it will give us this. Mm-hmm. You know, X equals Y, um, which is one set of experiments. And we do another set, which is what we call uh, scenario development, which is where essentially it's like, how can we get the most fusion power? Okay, yeah. So that's kind of, it's an experiment but it's one where it's a set of optimizations and 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 a lot of it is an accumulation of very small gains. So why is it that, apart from, you, you just say that it was only for a very short amount of time, but how come the record is uh, over 20 years old? Because we haven't done tritium again since then, because it's, okay. uh, so, so part of it is, we did an experiment, 97 was when we did our tritium experiment, uh, we did a very small tritium experiment in the early 2000s, which was um, what we call trace tritium, which wasn't a let's get power. It was let's look at the behavior of the particles 
how they behave differently if we have a little bit of tritium in it. So that's the main reason we haven't, mainly we haven't tried to break that record in that time. We've been doing the build-up work to get us ready to try and break that record in a, in a better way. Um, that was also in the period where uh, TFTR was still running and we were both trying to, you know, beat each other's record, obviously. We beat, right. We beat theirs. Um, yeah, suck at TFTR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, T- TFTR was, uh, it had more input power than us. It had more input power than even we've got with our upgrades now. But it because it was a circular machine, the plasma confinement isn't as good for a circular machine as a, as a D-shaped machine. And so we we got more power than them, and actually because we'd got it with less input power, our our overall efficiency and our sort of your percentage was better. Was better, yeah, yeah. So they. Um, so when when you're talking about how plasma, we should wrap up soonish. But when yeah. you were talking about how plasma is weird and different, so I wonder if we can just talk a bit about plasma as a yeah, state yeah. of matter because it's the one that doesn't get taught at school high school physics so plasma is sort of 98 percent of the universe of what we see at least let's not get into dark matter forget about that um and and plasma is is very ubiquitous the sun is a plasma um fluorescent tube lights are plasmas plasmas are plasma tvs right uh, which we don't have really anymore but uh, they were a thing for a while um and, and and there are many different types of plasma and almost every kind of astronomical phenomenon supernovas everything like this like is the a northern lights are northern lights are a plasma um so although we don't hear about them very much and we don't talk about them very much they are a huge part of our existence uh and and they are i think i said earlier you you go from a solid to a liquid to a gas and you're like oh there's three states and actually no there's a fourth one and the fourth one is is plasma um and it says you you heat it up and it goes into this other state where the electrons and the um, the nucleus of the the atom, so that's the the, the positive parts of the atom. Uh, I'm not going to say split because that makes you think of back to fission, but they 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 separate from each other, the electrons and and you have these charged particles floating around. And so it's it's kind of kind of. It's, Tell me now if this is a far too simple or reductive or thing, yeah. but it just seems like every time you add more energy in, the the degree of freedom of movement increases up to the point where the split between gas and plasma is even within the atoms themselves, the electrons yeah. and the That's nuclei. absolutely right, yeah, yeah. It's the more degrees of freedom, that, I think, in, in solid-state physics, you even count it in how many degrees of freedom that things have <laughs> in terms of how much energy they get. Um it's in a Boltzmann then. Um, yeah, so the, the the electrical particles move around away from each other. They're not kept... The electrical force that was holding an electron to that to that uh, atom isn't enough and it, it kind of flies away and, and floats around. And just gets shared between all the different atoms rather than just being... Yeah, so it all gets... So typically a plasma is what we call quasi-neutral. So if you take a lump of plasma, the whole thing is neutral, but... Uh, within that all the charges are moving around a lot so the whole thing is charged yet from a bigger scale also neutral um and the you you can get them from the very hot to the very cold so you've got uh these cold plasmas hot plasmas dusty plasmas dense plasmas 
Right, it's it, a huge field. Because uh, because a, a, um, a fluorescent tube, a fluorescent light, is not hot to the touch. No, it's very. It, uh, that's what we call a cold plasma. Because if you have an electrical discharge in a gas, that can also make it into a plasma. So it doesn't have to be very hot, but the fact that you've got an electric field present enough makes it uh, makes that dissociation happen, so that the, the particles can. Can yeah. move around. I should say it's not completely cold to the touch, but it's certainly not. Yes, it's not hundreds. Of, it's not even thirty million degrees. Never mind a hundred million. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you could, there was there's some other thing. There was this um, researcher in Holland who made a plasma toothbrush, so you could um, clean your teeth with a plasma. Uh, how does that work, and what does it do? Uh, well, it's got a. That's the fields where we talk about atmospheric pressure plasmas. So plasmas can come in very different pressures. Like I said, within our machine, we've got a postage stamp amount of stuff. The density is very low. The temperature is very high. You can make one that's about the same um, density, the same pressure as the, the air around you and make that into a plasma. And you can do plasma cleaning uh, of many things. You can clean... Uh, all kinds of surfaces with with a plasma because it just you know you're kind of burning stuff away really but you can clean your teeth with this as well i'm so they were developing this and then they realized it works but it works about as well as a toothbrush so there's not really any point in inventing it well you say that but the bragging rights of having a plasma toothbrush i cannot i can't believe it hasn't been marketed commercially because that just feels like I think you need Elon Musk to really, or someone like that, to really like run with it for it to start. Listeners, out of look at yourselves. <laughs> Put that out there on the market. This is, yeah, I can't, I can't, Im- unless it also, unless the other problem is it's like five hundred dollars per toothbrush. Oh, without... it probably would be. Yeah, it would be probably more than that. Without any discernible gain in teeth cleaning, but exactly, yeah. But but, but if but you're also rich, the, the adverts, and you're just like cleans with plasma power, and you get to be like, oh, it's got a plasma toothbrush right there. Well, like I said, I, I think if, if, if Tesla or someone like this came out with one, then, um, and yeah. they've got the right name for anything magnetic as well, then... They really did leap on that. Yeah. Um, so, what? Uh, b- before we do f- finish up, what are you most excited about in terms of potential future experiments or future outcomes? I, I think for me, because I'm sort of right in it, and it's right close to me, the, the deuterium tritium experiment that we're coming up to in later this year is incredibly exciting for me but that's that's very personal because you know I've like I said I've spent 10 years building up to this uh one of the things to make it successful is our beam system working efficiently enough and I've spent the last year you know fighting it constantly to make that happen so right for me it'd be a very personal achievement when we go into that if we've got the input power because I'm kind of a service provider to a lot of the experiments. I do some experiments myself, but I'm kind of a service provider a lot of the time. So that if if I can be if I can deliver enough power that we can can do that and you know get that record, you know whether we take the record that was there before and extend it to five seconds or do even better than that would be absolutely amazing for us. And then. If what we learn in that can 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 feed into experiments going on in ETA, which is still a long long way, it's still a long way away. It's still a number of years from actually running experiments at ETA. It's it's being built now. It's in that kind of it's uh, it's exciting if you it's in that phase where it's exciting for engineers who are building things. But if you're a scientist who wants to run an experiment, right, it's getting exciting. 
but um, but you really want data as a scientist. Yeah. So it's exciting from you. You know, you can look at the data from other experiments and analyze it and simulate. And say, what if we do this on ETA? But you know, if you want to actually come and touch something, then right. And also, like you said earlier in the episode, if the scale really does change things. So in the scale up from even your experiment to ETA, there could be just results that are very different to what your uh, models from ab- Jet ab- Absolutely. So we, we have, which will be very exciting. I mean, it'd be easier if they didn't scale too much. I mean, generally, right. like I said, plasmas don't do what you want. If it, if it changes a lot, it usually doesn't benefit us. Sometimes it does. And we go <laughs> like, oh my God, thank you, plasma. You finally did something nice for us. But um, yeah, so we hope it isn't, too different we think uh we can do some of the we can do the same things typically there are normalized parameters so normalized parameters like conductivity resistivity and things like this and on jet we can do one or the other of these that they'll have on eta but not both at the same time so we hope by putting all that together we haven't gone too far from what they'll have on eta but um yeah getting us through deuterium tritium the DT campaign would be... I'll be uh, very excited with that. Well, that's sweet. Well, thank yeah. you. By the way, this is the first the first Fusion episode we've ever done. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you or more about Jet or more about... Uh, you won't find much about me, but you can find out more about Jet if you go to uh, either eurofusion.org or... Uh, UKAEA.UK that is .UK not .co.UK we have a a very nice TLD Um, if you go to ETA.org that'll um, it's Euro-Fusion.org and that's got stuff about JET and and all the stuff we do there ETA.org or UKAEA.UK follow the stuff from there or just search for it and you'll probably find uh, yeah. most of this stuff but we got we got some good PR stuff on the, the there aren't many uh, fusion experiments going on in the world so if you just search for fusion experiment you'll find one of the two big ones or some guy with some crayon drawings you might find the crayon drawings people <laughs> and every every news article that has it has about a thousand comments at the bottom from crayon drawing people so be careful of your sources when you're out there as well. <laughs> if, yeah. it, if it comes from a government that looks like it has a, a large amount of funding behind it, it's probably correct. Mm. If it comes from a person with an idea and a why don't you do and gaps in the middle. Um, thank you, Damien. Dr. Damien King, thank you so much for joining us. You can find us, uh, probablyscience.com, at probablyscience, at Matt Kirshen, at Andy T. Wood on Twitter. Uh, probablyscience.gmail.com is the email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, uh, ideas on how to do fusion that you want to send in that we can forward on (laughs) (laughs) to the relevant agencies. Uh, Thank you, listeners. I think by the next episode, I'll be back in LA, so it'll be Andy and me back together. But until then, thank you very much, and we will see you next week. And thanks again, Damien. Thank you. Bye.